Welcome to the Boiler Podcast, brought to you by Selenis, providing tools to build your expertise and customer value. In today's podcast, you will hear Marshall Lewis, Tom Clay, and Alex Zhang of Selenis discussing the introduction of Boiler Phosphate pH Control, or BPPC, and the leak alert, and how you can bring value to your customers. This is Kai. I'm the um, team leader for the Boiler Water Applications team. And first, I wanted to thank everyone for taking the time out of their day to attend this important training module that we're going to be presenting today. During this session, we'll discuss the importance of congruent phosphate pH control and the benefits of BPPC, which is the Boiler Phosphate pH Control System. There'll be a review of BPPC. Uh, that'll be covered and how to sell it. Details on the OnGuard Eye Controller and how BPPC fits into that will be discussed, as well as details on Leak Alert and how it functions. First, let me make sure that everybody um, does not use the audio function on Skype, and please place your phones on mute. There'll be an opportunity uh, at the end of the presentation for any questions. Okay, Marshall? Okay. Um, thanks, Kai. Uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, Tom Clay and Kai and others in the Boiler Group uh, discussed that uh, we thought it would be advantageous if we just did a quick review of some of the capabilities of the eye controller for BPPC control, that's balanced pH phosphate control, and leak alert. And then we also made a review of the uh, procedures, if you will, or the process to go through to acquire an eye controller, have that scoped out in your facility, and uh, to add the leak alert capability and so forth, so that we could we could facilitate the interface between the field and the initial stages of the sales process for an eye controller, uh, which we feel like is a tremendous asset for us. Next slide. Okay, so what is boiler? Phosphate pH control, we shorten that to BPPC. And that is the proprietary software used by the eye controller to achieve industry best congruent phosphate pH control to stay in the box with your uh, boiler chemistry control. Uh, hats off to Tom and his group for designing a truly customized system for boiler chemistry control. They didn't just go out and buy a PLC and stick a Salinas label on it and say, here's a boiler chemistry controller. This is a custom designed boiler chemistry control system and the results uh, demonstrate that it, it is superior just to the regular off the shelf P, uh, PLC. Next. So, balanced pH phosphate control is recommended by AESME for boilers above 600 pounds with demineralized quality water makeup. That could be from an RO or from any other water source, as long as the water is very low sodium and is demineralized quality makeup. The reason for that is when you get water of that quality at that pressure, you have the potential for uh, acid phosphate corrosion or caustic corrosion the emphasis of the boiler chemistry program switches from scale control, which you typically have with poor quality makeup, 
over to an emphasis on corrosion control. So industry best practice uh, is to use congruent control under those conditions. Uh, we feed chemicals uh, which are a high or a low sodium to phosphate ratio uh, blend to maintain the chemistry control for these programs. Uh, the eye controller modulates the feed of those two chemicals. It feeds both simultaneously as opposed to on-off control, which many other systems use. The result of that modulated control is you get much smoother, uh, more precise control. Uh, all right, next. So if you're going to run congruent control, which we have already discussed the need for, what's the best method to achieve reliable control? And the eye controller has proved to be uh, an industry best method to accomplish this. Uh, we have seen many advantages with it that you can point out to your customer. Uh, one is reduced chemical control. Um, we'll show some examples in a moment of uh, how the eye controller implementation has gone to true statistical control instead of just maintaining a system within the boundaries of your uh, system control parameters. And that generally results in reduced chemical usage. It, reduced, it reduces the risk of corrosion uh, by giving you a greater margin of control uh, error as you, you know, control around a smaller uh, control point. Uh, capabilities of the system are you have con connectivity to the MIL DCS, uh, you can connect to your phone for alerts and email as well. Uh, next. So these are some of the details of the capabilities of the eye controller. I'm not going to read through all of these, uh, but just Take a quick glance down through there and you can notice that there are tremendous flexibility with the eye controller. Uh, you can control up to four systems. You could put one boiler and two cooling towers and, and one bark boiler scrubber on the same system or any combination of configurations. And it'll, it'll take 19 chemical feeds with feed verification and it'll also take 199 inputs where you could take other signals from the DCS to, uh, to utilize on the eye controller itself. Next. Okay, this is a, a case study where a boiler was under PLC control. And as you can see, most of the results were in the box. Uh, this is probably 90, 95% control in the box. Uh, and uh, you can see the results with the eye controller. Um, the eye controller in this instance was, you know, very high, 98, 99% in the box probably. So you just, you cannot assume you have good control just because your in the box number is in the high 90s. Uh, the results on the left obviously are not really good control compared to the, to the uh, control which you see on the right. Next. This is a, uh, a graph of an existing customer, which we have on an eye controller. And this is a typical result, which they have, uh, which and they monitor this monthly and, and mail us this chart. Uh, and this particular facility 
you know, has has three boilers on an eye controller, and they typically run 98 to 99% in the box. Next. Schematically, this is the layout of an eye controller uh, with BPPC. As you can see on the left, there are two phosphate blends, an up blend to increase your pH and a down blend, which will tend to decrease the pH. The eye controller takes signals from the blowdown flow meter and from the phosphate analyzer on the blowdown. It modulates those two chemicals to maintain control uh, through various loads and, uh, and operating cycles. So it, it does an excellent job of responding to the system and it actually learns how a particular boiler will respond. And it will adjust its response, you know, faster or slower depending upon each particular system. Next. So just a word a little about high pressure boiler chemistry, a little bit of background. I know a lot of customers sometimes will push back on going to congruent control. Uh, next. So just a little bit of background here on, I guess, the reasons why uh, you should encourage your customer to use best practices, best industry practices for congruent control. Um, feed water standards uh, are established here for, you know, boilers operating above 900 PSI. Uh, and they're a little bit relaxed for non-recovery boilers over 900 pounds, but still they're, they're, they're fairly strict. Next. So high pressure corrosion mechanisms, we talked about caustic and acid phosphate attack. Uh, there are other types of corrosion which can occur also at higher pressures. Uh, and as we see in most uh, especially paper mill systems and in most higher pressure industrial boilers, the, uh, the greatest potential for deposition is from iron transport and any deposition in a boiler increases the opportunity for under deposit corrosion. Next. So as we said, water side deposition uh, is, I guess you would say, almost one of the requirements or one of the root causes of many high pressure boiler corrosion failures due to acid or caustic uh, phosphate attack. Um, and the amount of deposit that can induce corrosion is often much less that can, than can lead to an overheat failure. Next. Just a little schematic for your uh, discussion with your customer about the mechanism of under deposit corrosion. A deposit uh, will form a uh, an insulating layer between the water and the parent steel. Uh, as water migrates into that area, the water will evaporate and it will leave behind the boiler water solids, including you know sodium or low pH phosphate salts uh, as your boiler chemistry uh, changes over time, and the concentration of those salts under the deposit is what, you know, can ultimately cause your corrosion. Next. So the potential concentration mechanisms are under deposit corrosions. You can get steam water separation in horizontal tubes. This is pretty common occurrence uh, that we see in high pressure boilers. 
or for boilers with very high heat input areas, you can get actual steam blanketing or departure from nucleate boiling. And the, the risky thing about high pressure boilers with good quality feed water is the deposits can often be very localized. You can inspect all you want to in a, in a boiler, but there are areas you cannot get to, and a lot of these troublesome areas are, uh, are usually very inaccessible. And you, know, you can be, be getting corrosion, which is cumulative over the years in these areas, and not know it until you have a failure. So the, uh, the best practices, the best recommendation we can give our customer is to maintain as good control as absolutely possible so that you minimize the cumulative effects of excursions in these localized areas of your boiler. Next. This is a prime example of a horizontal header in a recovery boiler where we had steam water separation. Uh, boiler DWDs were very low. Uh, inspections were all good. Uh, this boiler years ago had had very poor chemistry control. It has better control now. We're probably 95% in the box. We do not have an eye controller on this boiler. But uh, some maintenance on this boiler revealed in, this, in these horizontal runs, uh, what you see here. The bottom portion of the tube, as you can see, looks extremely clean, no problems. But the top of the tube, uh, we had this steam water separation area where we got a concentration of salts and we got acid phosphate attack underneath the, these deposits. Next. Caustic corrosion uh, is a very similar mechanism to the acid phosphate corrosion. It just depends upon the, what you get depends upon the, the boiler water chemistry you know, at the time of the excursion. Obviously, if you have a high pH, uh, out of control uh, excursion, you get uh, the caustic attack. And if you have uh, operation at times when you're below the box, uh, you can get the the cost, excuse me, you can get the acid attack. Next. Okay, acid phosphate corrosion. We, we hear a lot about caustic attack, but acid phosphate is not as often described, just often uh, discovered, but it, it certainly uh, can occur as well. Uh, as in caustic attack, it occurs usually under deposits uh, where there's high heat flux. And it's caused by the acidic precipitation of sodium phosphate salts. Uh, and again, uh, when you're below the box, uh, even for short periods of time, you have the potential for getting uh, acid phosphate corrosion attack. Next. Acid, to determine whether you have acid or caustic attack, you really need uh, an analysis of the deposit, the type of uh, of iron phosphate, which forms uh, can be analyzed to determine the mechanism of corrosion. Uh, but the acid phosphate usually has a, a reddish tint with some, some white salts scattered around in it, similar to what you see here. Next. Okay, we talked about the factors for acid phosphate corrosion, a low sodium to phosphate ratio, and a concentrating mechanism. Next. So uh, if we know you can, can get corrosion problems in these high-pressure boilers, how do you mitigate it? Uh, 
minimize deposition, and control your boiler chemistry in a non-corrosive or a congruent range. Uh, obviously, these are the two main causes of the corrosion, so obviously the strategy to prevent is to, to minimize these two occurrences. Next. All right. Next. Uh, just a, a brief discussion on terminology. We frequently talk about coordinated control, and that's coordinated control is operating below the upper black line there, which is a three to one sodium to phosphate molar ratio. It was found that, you know, if you operate up close to that limit, you can still get caustic corrosion attack. So there was a, a modified range, if you will, which was called congruent control, where you operate at a 2.8 sodium to phosphate ratio or below. Uh, so just a, if you hear both terms, uh, just be aware that there is a little bit of difference, not to get hung up on the terminology, but uh, technically we recommend that uh, people run congruent control. And because of the difference in solubility, uh, as pressure changes, as temperature changes, as you go up in pressure, you go down in the concentration of sodium salts that, uh, that are uh, recommended in the boiler. Okay, so the industry standards congruent control. Uh, we talked about that as the upper sodium to phosphate molar ratio uh, being pressure dependent also. Next. Mar Marshall, so 2.6 2 to 2.8 is where you need to be? Well, it depends upon your pressure. Uh, if you're around 600 pounds, you can operate about uh, 2.8 maximum sodium to phosphate. Uh, and as you go up, you know, above 1,500 pounds or so, you know, that'll drop down to about 2.7. We typically shoot for about 2.6 as our control point, regardless of the pressure. Yeah, okay. Uh, because you know, most of our boilers are 1,500 pounds or below. And, and the 2.6 kind of puts you typically in the middle of the box, which gives you the greatest uh, margin of, of error, if you will, or the greatest zone of protection, I like to call it, uh, you know, for, for any system. Okay. That's a good way of thinking. Thank you. Okay. So that's a good point. Uh, the zone of protection, I think, is, is something that almost everybody can relate to. And as you improve that control, as you tighten your control down to the center of that box, that truly does give you a zone of protection as you have normal process upsets. Okay, uh, we've talked about congruent control. Next. This again is just uh, showing where uh, you get free caustic above this three to one sodium to phosphate molar ratio, and below that you have captive alkalinity, which means that you have adequate disodium phosphate, which can react with any free hydroxide to hold that alkalinity captive, if you will, if you want a, a mental picture of what's going on. Uh, and that is a less corrosive regime or a less corrosive environment than operating at the three to one. So if you want more detail on the exact reactions going on, um, this will give you uh, some background on that. We won't go through the details here, but in effect, you try to maintain the pH in a range where you form disodium phosphate so that that disodium phosphate can react with any free hydroxide that's present. Next. Okay, we talked about the, the controlled uh, 
diagram and where the, uh, the recommended control range is pressure dependent and a little um, uh, directional uh, graph or what do we want to call it there in the lower right hand corner just kind of gives you a, a visual indication of as you add various chemistries how that how that moves your control point and this is usually very helpful to the operators to visualize how you know they need to change process chemistry if they're on a manual control program uh, to to affect the change that they need to maintain control okay we we talked about time in the box and the box is just a control box uh, that we discussed uh, notice this is on uh, it's a parallelogram on the semi-log uh, plot here uh, it's not just your conventional uh, rectangle where you operate between you know a certain pH range and a, uh, a phosphate range. Uh, so just be aware of that when you set up your control boundary for your customer. Okay, uh, so you have a, a pH recommended pH range, which are defined by the maximum limits uh, for your pressure, uh, and also a, a recommended phosphate control range. Next. All right, we, what we wanted to do is just give you a little background first on some resources and a brief understanding of the, the reasons and the good reasons for operating in a congruent control, uh, control range and, you know, the industry best standard for maintaining, you know, that control. Uh, just one, one quick word, uh, you know, just this things past week, we, uh, I had someone who approached a customer about going congruent and they said, oh, we tried that. That caused deposition in our boilers. It's very hard to control there. And, and a lot of times people, I think, in discussing the reasons to go to congruent, they get all hung up on the chemistry, get our customers confused and get them anxious about the chemistry as opposed to just saying, look, we're just going to change the control ranges. You operate between this phosphate range, that pH range, That'll keep you out of trouble, and it's industry best practice. Uh, and it, you know they can they can relate to that much more easily than to trying to think they're going to have to control a quote sodium to phosphate molar ratio somehow. Any questions? Uh, uh, thanks, Sakai. Thanks, Marshall, uh, for the uh, uh, thorough uh, review of uh, boiler process speed control as well as congruent and coordinated. Um, I'm going to take you through an introduction to the OnGuard Eye on, uh, from uh, you know, the, some of the capability of the OnGuard Eye, some of the best practices around uh, handling boiler process pH control as well as leak alert. Uh, to start off with, um, I'm just going to show you a document here that Marshall alluded to. Um, Martin Zaylight, who is one of our lead project managers that that report up through the field service organization. Um, he actually uh, graciously took on the task of actually preparing a document that um, you, our sales folks, as well as application people, can actually use to guide themselves through how to implement and how to get an on-guard eye for boiler phosphate pH control. And this takes you through, you know, items that consider. Um, uh, the, the process of getting a site survey, um, how to initiate a, a customer equipment request, 
what the approval cycle looks like for us to get approval of, uh, of capital if, if capital is being used for this uh, specific application uh, and so on and so forth all the way through installation and who to contact for support and stuff. Um, this document is available and I believe uh, that it can, you know, you can contact me or, uh, or I think it's actually part of the information that is on Acumen if I'm not mistaken. Moving on to the actual presentation, um, uh, what you're seeing here, uh, as you saw in Marshall's presentation, um, of what the uh, uh, you know BPPC application looks like in somewhat of a uh, a PNID type uh, drawing. Uh, starting on on the right hand side, you see where I'm highlighting required signals. Uh, for boiler faucet pH control, we must have a blowdown flow um, coming out of the boiler as well as a pH meter installed on, uh, on a discharge of a sampling station. Also required is either a phosphate analyzer or a lab result um, of the phosphate that is inputted in the on-guard eye. Um, and, and one of the key things which, which I'll review in a, in, a, in a minute here is, is why uh, we highly recommend a phosphate analyzer over lab result. And like I said, I'll get to that in a second here. Uh, the other situation is the chemical feed. Uh, like Marshall accurately talked about, it is an upblend and a downblend. Uh, uh, we use typically low pressure metering pumps that are feeding into the drop leg of a dilution chamber that is, that is then uh, fed using a high pressure, high volume chemical pump to get the diluted chemical into the boiler as quickly as possible. Right. The, uh, the, the other thing that's part of uh, a typical boiler faucet pH control setup is not only the chemical pump, but some means of accurately verifying the chemical being delivered, whether that's in flow meters or within uh, the pumps themselves. As I mentioned about pH and phosphate, you know, those are our key operating indicators. Uh, the, the chemicals typically are matched pair, which is the same phosphate um, percentage in both the up and the down blend. Um, however, the on-guard eye is actually capable of feeding unmatched pairs, but uh, that is, I don't think that's something we have done uh, in supplying uh, the chemicals at this point. Normally, they're always matched with their phosphate. Okay. Um, they, the on-guard eye simultaneously feeds both the upblend, the up product, and the low product at the same time to get optimum uh, phosphate and pH control. The result is a very improved response and tighter control. I mentioned about pH being a requirement, this is the, the pH analyzer we recommend from Rosemont, a model 1056. We find it to be uh, a, a very user-friendly, very accurate, and it also has the capability of not only electrode temperature compensation, but also solution temperature compensation. Um, it's not the only analyzer that has that capability, but it is one of only a few that do. So it allows us to actually have true temperature compensation of boiler water. 
As far as a phosphate analyzer goes, we we recommend the Swan phosphate analyzer over anyone else's in the industry right now. Um, we used to use the Hawk 5000 series um, analyzer many years ago. Um, it, it, it was a good analyzer. Uh, unfortunately, Hawk thought that they were going to be coming out with a with a better analyzer called the 5500. Um, it failed miserably for us, and uh, we went to Swan. Uh, we brought the Swan in to, to the Women Research Center. We did side-by-side -side comparisons at the Research Center uh, between the, 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 uh, the Hawk and the Swan. Swan performed much, much better, higher accuracy, less, less problems, less maintenance, and um, it obviously it was trialed in the field before we selected it as our primary source for uh, phosphate analyzers. Right. Best practices, all right, as, you know, for, for the pH and phosphate, you, we need a good blowdown sample station to provide a constant stream or reduced pressure boiler water, you know, at or near 78 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, the part of the sample station must be the means of indicating whether there's sample flow or not. In the, in the typical ones we recommend, there's a pressure switch in the sample uh, panel uh, that is wired back to the on-guard eye so that the on-guard eye can take appropriate action if the sample flow is, uh, has been shut down or is, is reduced to where it's not going to be providing the, the sample necessary for the analyzers. And, and the loss of sample flow initiates force manual control within the BPC program in the on-guard eye to where it will um, continue to feed at the previous gallons per day, at the previous up percent up blend, um, and maintain that um, during this, uh, this failure situation. The good news is during this period of time, both the, the feed rate and percent up can be, can be manually adjusted. Um, continuing on with best practice, I mentioned that dilution chamber. Um, that dilution chamber is more than just a dilution chamber. It actually has high and low level switches in it. So as you can see in the diagram, and this is a diagram directly from the on-guard eye, uh, where we've got a uh, float valve that's maintaining a certain level of uh, dilution water within this, happens to be about a four-gallon tank. Um, the reason why we have the high level and low level switches in there is to give us an indication of the state of our high pressure pump and the state of the dilution water. If, if that level of the dilution chamber goes down below the low level switch, the chances are we have lost dilution water. And, and if we didn't shut down an alarm at this situation, then we would be putting neat chemical directly in the boiler. So when we hit a low level, we actually shut down the low pressure medium pumps and the high pressure pump uh, and, and sound an alarm and actually call out on the situation so that we have somebody to come in and take care of it and, and remedy the problem. Also on the high level side, um, obviously the, the dilution water, unless the valve fails, would not cause the high level. What typically causes a high level is the high pressure pump is either failed, uh, a valve been turned off, 
um, but it's not keeping up. And the fact that we're feeding our blended chemicals into the dilution chamber, that will actually cause the rise of the, the water level in the dilution chamber. And again, when we hit that high level, we will sound an alarm, we will shut down the meridian pump, a high pressure pump, because we don't want the, any chances of damaging the high pressure pump. Um, mentioned feed verification. Uh, as you see here, there's a couple of screens directly from the on-guard eye. Uh, one of the things that, that's available now that wasn't available a number of years ago is, is the new pumps that actually have the capability of, a, of um, determining flow rates uh, of the chemical that's being fed. The Grumpus CD8 uh, does it very accurately using a pressure indication within the pump that that through their algorithms building the pump can give us very accurate uh, uh, feed rate information. Uh, the Prominent Gamma X, uh, Prominent does a little bit differently in their pump, but again, we find it to be uh, uh, fairly accurate or, or rather accurate in its chemical uh, feed rate information. But we can actually use any type of accurate flow meter with the OnGuard eye. Um, we've used Yokogawa mag meters, key and softer sonic flow meters. And one other item that, that makes it very handy for the accounts that were, were taken away from Suez, the old uh, GE bets, uh, some of those accounts are using what GE called the drawdown assemblies uh, to accurately determine the, the feed rate of the pumps. You know, back when those were developed in the early 1990s, there was no Grumpus DDA pumps. There was no mag meters that could accurately to, uh, tell us the feed rate of a pulsed flow rate coming from a solenoid-driven pump, for example. So vets uh, came out with these drawn assemblies, which our on-guard eye can actually take the inputs and outputs to control those. So moving uh, a SUEX account over to an on-guard eye can be very easy, and we've done several of these over the last eight years and actually can put in an on-guard eye within 24 hours, uh, replacing a GE uh, control platform. Um, as far as BPC control, all right, Marshall went over the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the in the box, the, the, the boiler uh, molar ratio. Uh, basically, the way we've set up the OnGuard eye, it can, it can feed uh, chemical in, in, a, in a multitude of, 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 uh, of, of programs. The one we use for the paper industry is we call it molaration custom because it's not something that comes directly out of uh, EPRI guidelines. Um, so that, that allows us to, to use what we call a program of manual phosphate auto pH, where basically you put in the molar ratio, whether it's you know, 2.6, 2.8, you put in what, what PPM of phosphate you want to maintain in your boiler, and our program will automatically calculate the pH set point based on those two parameters. And, and the idea here is uh, we want to actually control to hit a specific pH target and a specific phosphate target. All right. I mentioned earlier about phosphate analyzer versus lab instrument. All right. um, to get that very, very tight control that you saw in the charts from, out, from, uh, from, from uh, Marshall, those were done using an, a signal from a phosphate analyzer. Phosphate analyzer sends us signals about every 13 to 15 minutes. So 
we're getting new signals all the time. In a lab result type application, we may only get a lab result maybe four times a day. So we're not getting the, in a way, the minute by minute changes that could be happening in the boiler. So with a phosphate analyzer, our control can take action more quickly and thus be able to control the phosphate and pH levels within the boiler to a much more precise level. Right. So we highly recommend the phosphate analyzer. And for leak alert applications, for a leak detection system, a phosphate analyzer is a must. All right. Um, so you're seeing here screen, the left-hand screen is the configuration screen, the right-hand is what the operators see on a daily basis. And because the, the, the phosphate and pH molar ratio set points are something that do not change very often, the only people that can change those is the salinity sales rep. The operators do not have access to change these set points. Talking about control. Uh, we mentioned also the, about feeding the up and down chemicals, um, talked about the lab entered fossil result and the fact that the, uh, a fossil analyzer provides much higher level of control. Okay. Determination of the up and down blends ratio is based on current pH of the blowdown flow. And there's mathematical modeling going on within the, within the on guard eye to make sure that we can control that pH in the time period that is determined by the operating level boiler mass. So there is some parameters that are actually configured in the on-guard eye. One of them is the operating level of the boiler mass, so we know what the, lead, the lag time of the boiler actually is. Marshall showed you this already. Um, you know, what was interesting about it was, the, if I recall correctly, the, the first generation automated control, that happened to be one of the GE Betts pace setter systems operating at one of the plants that we took over in, uh, in, uh, with an on-guard eye. Uh, so these are actual uh, data points from operation before the on-guard eye was in and then what they look like after the on-guard eye was running for several weeks. So what, what happens when we lose our key operating parameters, which is the pH signal or the phosphate signal. All right. Our phosphate analyzer, SWAN analyzer, actually can send us a digital signal in the on-guard eye that'll indicate failure. Uh, when this happens, the phosphate reverts to a lab entry so that the operators, while they're waiting for the phosphate analyzer to be repaired or while they're repairing it, they can actually go in and update the, lab, the, the phosphate based on lab entry results, which allows our system to come still run in full automatic mode. In the case of pH analyzer, analyzers, the, the, the Rosemont and others can also send us a digital signal. In this case, when we do have a failure, um, the, the on-guard eye will go in what, what's called the force manual operation. And as I mentioned before, it'll feed based on the gallons per day uh, that was being fed previously and at the same percent up. And of course, those can be adjusted uh, by the operator um, uh, so that they can maintain uh, uh, control. It's not at that point full automatic control, but at least they have the capability of controlling things while the pH analyzer is being repaired. This is, a, a, excuse me, Marshall indicated some of the features of the on-guard eye. 
One is its capability of, of handling up to four boilers running BPPC. And in addition to the four, which is eight chemicals, we still have 11 chemical feeds that can the OnGuard Eye can run. So the OnGuard Eye can actually run boilers, cooling towers, even wastewater applications, conceivably all in the same OnGuard Eye. Okay, what you're seeing here is this is an application where we're running three BPPCs in addition to oxygen, scavenger, and, and uh, amine going to two different deaerators that are feeding the, the three, uh, one of the three boil, uh, recovery boilers or power boilers in this case. Okay. Last slide here. This is just gives you an idea of what uh, a BPP skid may look like. Now this this is a little bit different than what we've done uh, in, in a lot of cases because this actually has the boiler sample. Ah, sorry, let me go back. This actually has the, the, the boiler sample panel part of the feed skid, which is not real common because a lot of cases the, the, the boiler sample is not coming down to where our feed skid normally resides. This happened to be a brand new customer and they were able to uh, not only run the lines where they needed to be, but they liked the approach of having everything on one skid. But let me just point out a few things here. Um, on the far left, you see a blue pump. That's, the, that's a Neptune high pressure pump, which uh, uh, delivers the diluted chemical right into the boiler. And we usually use a fairly uh, high flow rate pump so that we can get the chemistry in there as quickly as possible. You got two low pressure prominent metering pumps. You can see in this case the mag meters were used. These are the Yokogawa mag meters, and behind that, that metal round cylinder is the dilution chamber. Uh, and obviously, everything's connected to the on guard eye. On the lower right hand side are the ambient oxygen governor pumps. In, in this case, the customer and the sales rep decided that they really didn't need feed verification on the ambient and oxygen scavenger. So that's why you don't see any uh, mag meters and such on there. Um, that, that concludes my section. Hello, everyone. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Alex Zhang. Uh, I report to Tom Clay in the Equipment Group. Uh, today, I will be going over the uh, leak alert, uh, Solanus leak alert. Um, so some of you may only have a leak alert system in your uh, facility, and you're probably familiar with what I'm about to talk about. But for those of you who don't have a legal system yet, um, I hope you learn something valuable out of it and consider uh, using it. Uh, so uh, what are the risks associated with a boiler leak? Uh, for power boilers, a leak can cause uh, further damages, and it can often cut adjacent tubes, and, and it will come with a higher cost due to extended downtime. For recovery boilers, uh, it can be very severe. You can have a possibility of a explosion when water contact the molten smelt, and you can have emergency shutdowns, and also higher costs associated with the extended downtime. Um, so, uh, so what do customers want with an automated boiler leak detection system? I think they want to be able to protect their personnel health and safety, protect access, and avoid uh, costly shutdowns, and avoid emergency shutdowns. And they probably want to use it alongside with the existing leak detection system uh, to increase the leak detection competence. 
The common practices in the industry for leak detection are water mass balance, chemical mass balance, and acoustic systems. Water mass balance and chemical mass balance being more sophisticated and more reliable, uh, water mass balance detects the loss of boiler water. Chemical mass balance detects the imbalance of boiler chemical. Uh, acoustic systems measures the sound in the furnace to detect leak. Acoustic system installations are usually more expensive and is uh, inherent with false alarms due to the background noise. There are several challenges uh, with the leak alert uh, detection. Uh, the, one of the biggest uh, challenges false alarms. Almost all boiler leak detection systems have false alarms. Uh, it's usually due to uh, signal noise and in some cases due to a modeling error. Too many false alarms uh, will make the system unreliable and lose the customer's uh, confidence. Uh, the other challenge is the sensitivity to small leaks. Most uh, systems have difficulty detecting small leaks. Uh, the speed of detection is a desirable uh, feature, but it usually requires sophisticated mathematics that most online system hardwares just don't have. Um, so who are the suppliers in the industry for uh, boiler leak detection? DCS supplies uh, sometimes uh, supply uh, leak detections and they usually supply it free. Uh, but DCS uh, has a limitation, even though the DCS uh, system itself is powerful, but the programming language uh, and the mathematical functions available are usually limited. So the algorithms in the DCS are usually simple, not complicated, not uh, too sophisticated. Uh, there's the Buckman uh, Alert System Recovery Boiler Advisor. This system uses many boiler operation parameters and it might uh, make uh, installation a little bit uh, uh, impractical at times. Nalco has their tracer system, which has uh, water mass balance and chemical mass balance. The Solenis leak alert detection system has several advantages. Uh, Solenis uh, uses the uh, best methods of uh, water mass balance and chemical mass balance to provide early indication of boiler leak, and it can detect small leaks as small as two to four gallons uh, per minute and it can indicate the location of the leak. It can also work with the eye controller using the feed verification to detect a chemical feed system leak. And we can also adjust the sensitivity of the detection to manage uh, the false alarms. Uh, the system trains itself to the specific boiler that it's running on. Uh, most online electronics don't have uh, this capability. Um, it is also capable of detecting uh, leaks during boiler swings. It has been field tested. It was developed in partnership with uh, pulp and paper companies to address the industry concerns. The Solenis leak alert algorithm uh, comprised of the proprietary data filtering uh, methods and statistical approach. The data filtering method uh, minimizes the noise of the data, like measuring noise, things like that. And it maximizes sensitivity and the speed of detection. 
uh, the statistical approach basically allows it to calibrate itself, so to train itself on the boiler that it's running on, and and you can also adjust uh, the trade-off between sensitivity and false alarms upon the knowledge of upset conditions. Okay, it employs uh, sophisticated short-term and long-term averaging, and for those of you who have uh, seen the one hour and 10 hour averaging, that's what that means. The short term is the one hour and the long term is the 10 hour. And those two combination allows you to detect small and large leaks with uh, early indication. <clears throat> um, what type of leak can leak alert respond to? Leak alert can respond to uh, everything that's shown on the slide, I won't go over everything. Uh, for example, the feed water line leak, economizer leak, boiler leak, et cetera. Um, this uh, presentation is available to you for reference. Uh, leak alert is only part of uh, the eye controller. You can run the water mass balance along, or you can run the chemical mass balance along, or you can run them together. Um, so <clears throat> here are the scenarios for leak alert uh, indication. If you're running just the water mass balance, you would just get the benefits of the water mass balance indication. And if you're running the chemical mass balance, you get the benefits of just the chemical mass balance. But if you're running both, you will get a better picture of what is going on. So when there's no leak indicator in the water mass balance and no leak indicator in the chemical mass balance, then the likely scenario is that there's no leak. But if you have a leak indicator in both water mass balance and chemical mass balance, then there's possible leak in the cycle part of the boiler. If you have just the chemical mass balance uh, leak indication, then there's possible leak in the cycle part of the boiler, but possibly in the but possibly not detected by the water balance yet because it's too small, and there's possible a leak in the chemical feed system. Uh, if you have a leak in just the water mass balance uh, indication, then there's possible leak in the economizer, the superheater, and it's also possible in the cycle part of the boiler, but the chemical mass balance is, uh, has not detected yet or is too small to be detected. Um, <clears throat> what do you need in order to run leak alert? You will need an eye controller and you will need the minimum required uh, measurement devices. For the water mass balance, uh, you will need at minimum the boiler feed water as the influent flow, and you will need the steam and blowdown as the effluent flow. Uh, water mass balance also has three optional uh, effluent flow inputs. So in, for example, if you have a soup blower flow, that can be one of your optional effluent flow and everything else can be summed into the other two optional effluent flows. Chemical mass balance requires uh, feed verification, which is already part of uh, the uh, OGIC. And it also requires blowdown flow, and it requires a phosphate analyzer uh, on the blowdown flow line. Uh, Salinas Leak Alert software has several advantages. One is that it's already part of the OGIC, 
it was co-developed with, uh, together with OCIC. So everything kind of uh, worked together uh, in unison. Um, it was custom designed to for leak indication. Uh, it can be configured uh, easily uh, with the OGIC, and it can be customized for each mill. Um, not only from configuration standpoint, but it actually uh, it kind of trains itself. It, so it has a the the process of collecting the reference data is training itself and is customizing to the boiler itself. Uh, complements it complements the both BPPC capability of uh, OGIC. No additional equipment is required if you just want the want to run the chemical mass balance. It can take advantage of the uh, OGIC feed verification to indicate possible chemical feed system leaks. Uh, it can communicate uh, with the mill DCS alert on the phone and computers, and also available on Ronga online. So a lot of these features are a lot of these features are basically features of the OGIC already. Uh, the leak alert uh, system has a very simple user interface. Um, when there's an alert, uh, the imbalance indicator will be greater than 50%, uh, which is in the red region. When there's no alert, the indicator will be in the green region, which is 0 to 50%. Um, the green zone is always 0 to 50%, and the red zone is always 100%. So when you have an alarm, it just means that the probability of a leak is high. It does not mean that it's definitely there, okay? Um, so the operations people will still need to verify it, and uh, someone will also, will also need to review the data to confirm it. Uh, we, you can also configure leak alert to have early alarm. So for, instead of waiting to 50%, uh, we can alert at 40 to 47 percent, for example. So you, when you get in that uh, 40 to 7, uh, 40 to 47 range, you get an early alert warning, so you can start paying attention to if there's really an alert, uh, I mean, a leak going on early on. And that can also can call out to a DCS. It can call out to your regular email and phone numbers. And it has the advantage of allowing the user to adjust how much false alarms and how sensitive uh, the, the detection can be. So it's a trade-off, but it's a trade-off that, uh, that is worth it once you understand how to use that trade-off. So um, I have a few more slides. Uh, I don't think we need to go over all of those slides. Uh, you can review those slides and let me know if you have any uh, additional questions. They are there for your reference. Um, if anyone has any questions, uh, I'm, I would be glad to answer them. Thank you, Alex. Um, Joe, did you want to make a couple of comments about where these presentations uh, can be found? These presentations, as a full, the recording, will be available on the boiler site within the IWT Technical Training Resources site which can be found by going to Insight and searching IWT Technical Training Resources. And then from there, you can go to the boiler site. We will also be taking the audio from this uh, particular session and turning it into a podcast. And again, at that same site, there is a link at the top of the page that will direct you to where the podcasts can be downloaded and found.
and thank everyone uh, who took the time out of their schedule to call in. And everybody have a safe and enjoyable weekend. Thank you. Thank you for attending the Boiler Podcast. We hope that you found the information useful. Please be sure to check the technical training site within IWT for any other resources and information you may need.